0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spire. So To kick this one off, I just have a couple comments from last week's episode that I wanted to go over. First one was from Chris, who said, I agree with the AC Mani burrowing when they are wild caught. My girl is wild caught, I assume, and she's a heavy burrower. It's interesting. Yeah, I've heard from several folks because I've had two of them over the course of the year. The first one I got back in, I think, 96 ended up being a, a male and it did do some burrowing before it had its ultimate molt. And then the other one I got, I'm pretty sure somebody imported some wild caught specimens and she has burrowed. And then I've spoken to other folks over the course of the years because it's something that kind of, I noticed it, there seem to be two camps when it comes to the AC money. There's folks that say mine sits right on the top, maybe occasionally uses its hide, doesn't do any digging. But those of us who have the ones that are full fossorial, the common thread seems to be that the, they are suspect wild caught specimens. So it seems like the ones from the wild will continue to burrow as they would in the wild. But those that have been raised in the hobby, the captive bred ones, maybe not. So I always thought that was kind of cool. And then the other one was from Jurgen Ludwig, who said, I fear all the whiny people in this hobby will kill the joy of doing TBS. Please don't let it get to you. Anyone who's getting mad over your last episode needs to rethink their life. I just kind of put it out there. I honestly found it humorous. I I didn't, I hope it didn't come across like I was like, oh, boo hoo, woe is me. I knew every time I do a list or do some type of thing like this, I know There's going to be people that are upset. I anticipate there's people that just, it's like, you know, rooting for your favorite sports team. So do I get getting that worked up over something where somebody says flat out, this is just my opinion and it's for fun? From my personal standpoint, I don't get it, but I get that there are people out there that are that passionate about it. I mean, this isn't the first time I've done something in a podcast that people have gotten, you know, upset about and reacted to. And it just kind of comes with the territory. So this doesn't ruin the fun. It just kind of makes me giggle at how obsessive people can be over the species of tarantulas that they enjoy keeping. So today we're going to spend some time talking. About, I know I've covered this before in different uh, different format or, you know, in a different conversation, but it popped up again recently from two different experiences. One involved an email I got and I did not get permission to use this person's name. So I'm just going to use initials here, but I, the, the individual emailed me. I responded back. It's been three days and I didn't get anything back. And I actually said, you know, if you have any more questions, let me know. So I have a fear that a lot of Times my responses end up in people's junk mail, and it stinks because I've had people come back like, Yeah, on my YouTube comments, I emailed you ages ago and you never got back to me, which I think is kind of rude because even if I didn't get back to them, I'm kind of busy, but I always get back to people and I'll go search and find that, Yes, I did get back to you. You just apparently didn't receive it. So I'm worried in this case, this person didn't receive it. So just in case, we're going to do this podcast here and read out the comment. So hopefully this person hears it. So this is from CD, we'll call it the initials. Uh, my name is CD. I want to get into the tarantula keeping hobby. I've been a subscriber on your YouTube channel for a while, and I just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of yours. Recently, my parents allowed me to get a tarantula, and I was ecstatic to hear the news. But for me, I don't know where to start. I mean, I saw your beginner videos on tarantula care and what species of tarantula can be beginner-friendly. Nevertheless, I don't know where to start, and that's why I'm emailing you. You see, I was never allowed a pet until now, my senior year of high school, and living in Missouri, I don't have a tarantula community up here to help me start my passion for tarantula keeping. I guess where I'm getting at is if you can guide me to some early steps on where I should start, I would appreciate that. Uh, yet again, love your YouTube channel, whatever, yada, yada. But that was the the brunt of it. So we have a young man who is obviously in high school, is getting to keep a tarantula for the first time, is familiar with some of my material. But again, I always had this suspicion that a lot of the stuff I do for folks who aren't into tarantula keeping yet doesn't have a lot of relevance until they get into tarantula keeping and at that point there's so much information even if you just stuck to what I'm doing there's so much information to go through it can be a a little bit intimidating I can remember back when I got into it, I think I did naturally, I was naturally enjoyed and was pretty decent at researching. And even then, for me, it was difficult to see all the different conflicting information you get. And it's funny because I'm never on Facebook, but a comment popped up, and this is why I avoid Facebook, like the... League. A comment popped up on one of the groups, and somebody was act- asking about the humidity. They couldn't keep the humidity uh, in there. I, I won't say the species, so I don't call out anybody. But there was a certain species of spider. They said the humidity is supposed to be, say, seventy five percent. It's dipping to seventy two. What do I do? And I was kind of disheartened to see how many people came in and talked about how they measure humidity in their enclosures and how you can do this and that to make sure your humidity is perfect. When it's just like there's no such thing. And there were a lot of folks that came on and said, "Listen." Water dish, keep the bottom layers moist. I, I was so happy to hear that. But right there, there's conflicting information. Now, I guess what it comes down to is if you want to spend time paying attention to your humidity requirements, you got to find somebody that knows what they're doing in that respect. But it just seems like that's something right there. It's confusing. You have one person saying, don't even worry about humidity whatsoever. Keep the, the lower levels moist. Make sure there's good cross ventilation, good water dish. And you have somebody else explaining how they use clay balls. They do it every Wednesday. They add water to it. They miss the top of it. They cover the uh, top of the enclosure to restrict the ventilation. You have two totally different ways to do it. And I won't get into which one I feel is easier and which one I feel is more correct. We'll leave it up to interpretation, but that's why it can be so difficult jumping in the hobby. And even some of the things that we take for granted, for those of us who've been in the hobby for a while, that we know, like I know if I want a spider, I know exactly what to do in every one of these steps here because I've done it many, many times before. For somebody who hasn't done it before, it can be confusing. And I have a little anecdote and story to share on top of this that kind of also led me into this because I've been having the same type of discussion with one of my students. Now, I told you about the student I have, female student, who picked up a, I don't know if I shared this part of it, but I said that if one of my female students picked up a spider. I thought it was an El Sazmay. She showed me a picture. It was kind of, she pulled it up online. She goes, this is the spider I got. And what she showed me was an El I said, oh, I know how to keep those. No problem. I can help you. And I told you she was a little reluctant. She was going by what the pet store said. Anyway, I finally got her to show me a picture of the spider she got. And she told me, yeah, I was handling it the other night. It was so friendly. It was reaching his little legs out and it jumped from one arm to the other. It was a piece of Metallica, the Goody ornament, sapphire ornamental. And I was like, oh my, I mean, this was in front of a whole class, like right before class, in front of a whole classroom of kids. And my eyes must have lit up because one of my kids said, Mr., you look like you're terrified. And I'm like, I can't even tell you how <laughs> dangerous that is. So this is one she bought from a pet store. They said it was super handleable, tame spider. And she was told the bite would be no worse than like a bee or hornet sting. And instead, so she's handling one of the spiders with the most potent venom. Now, are they, it inc- inclined to use it. I've said before I think P. Lotharia species are get a bad rep. They're much more shy than defensive or dare I say it when people say aggressive however when you she said there was one point where it jumped over one arm to the other and she put her hand out and almost put her hand on top of the spider and I was just like dying thinking about this so there's an example of somebody that jumped right in did no research and I'm not I don't falter this is we've all been there I've done it I have back in the day when I first got into snakes and spiders I was not doing the correct research so I don't want this to come across like I'm browbeating folks who don't do it I think we've all been there sadly I think for a lot of this especially when you're 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 younger. You don't think of this stuff. You don't think that a pet store employee is going to have zero idea how to keep the spider, zero idea of the venom potency of it, or zero idea that there's difference between a terrestrial and an arboreal species. So I I get it. And I don't want this. I feel bad. I do think she's listening to me now and she's changed the setup. and We'll talk about that as we get further into this podcast. But there's an example of somebody that kind of jumped right in. And then as far as tarantula keeping is concerned, jumped right in the deep end and could have put herself and her family in danger. So I'm using that as an example of your typical person that comes up because I have a lot of folks who are like, oh, they're so easy. Just do the research. A lot of folks don't do the research. A lot of folks don't even understand that research is needed. A lot of folks think you go to the pet store, you pick it up. The pet store guy tells you how to do it. When you get home and forget half of what they said, you just look it up online, find the first care sheet you find, and then you set it up and treat it accordingly. And obviously, we all know that's not the case. Now, I have another one of my students last week. He's like, mister, you'll appreciate this. I was out in a pet store in Massachusetts. He's Obviously, we live in Connecticut. We can't sell them pet stores here, they can't be in public, displayed in public or sold in public like in expos. So a lot of us, if we want to see them in person, we go to either Rhode Island or Massachusetts. I believe he was in Massachusetts because he has a friend who lives in Massachusetts. And he said they went to a couple pet stores, and they saw several tarantulas. Now, right off the bat, I love this kid's approach because he's like, man, I really, really, really liked him, but I realized I didn't know much about him, and he told me a story. This is going to blow people's minds how they put this one spider on his hand. He said it was an orangey spider and a big spider, and they said he put it on his hand, and all of a sudden, it raised its front legs, and its fang came, fangs came out, and the guy's like, whoa, 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 put it back in the cage, put it back in the cage. Well. It took a couple of days, but he came back. He goes, I found the spider that they were telling me. He goes, I knew it was something queen or king. It was a king baboon, a P. muticus. So they had a five inch P. muticus in this kid's hand and a five inch P. muticus that was about to bite. So there's your pet stores for you. And the pet store didn't tell him that it was going to be a terribly nasty bite because it is an old world species. He just said that, you know, it was going to be a little painful, like getting stung by a bee. But I digress. He went immediately home and started researching. He was, and it was neat because I watched when the matter of two weeks, he went from referring to them, which I thought was cool. He's like, yeah, I held a salmon pink bird. I saw a salmon pink bird eater. I saw this one. Um, I think you refer to it as a black lab of tarantulas, a Brazilian black. I thought it was beautiful. And then I saw a and he started throwing out. I thought some pretty good, you know, for just getting into tarantulas, you could tell he was doing some research because he was memorizing these. And then a week later he comes in And it completely changed to, yeah, I figured out, I think the one I want is Grandma Stole a Polkera. I do like the Polkera piece. Started busting out scientific names. It was amazing. And as somebody who has taught about tarantulas for 10 years, who teaches these students in school, you know, we do a lot of Englishy stuff, reading stories, going through it, and talking about how, like, I talked about this kid, went through my Urban Legends unit, we're going looking for good information, everything. It was amazing to hear him, a younger kid, a kid who's known in school sometimes for being a little impulsive actually taking the time to learn. He is in it. And I loved watching it in person because I don't get to see this all that much. I talk to a lot of you guys online. I get emails. We go through stuff. I hear, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm researching this. I love it. It was neat to see how palpable his excitement was over discovering this whole new world of tarantulas. And what really made me feel good was he made the comments he's like, I have been binge watching your videos. He goes, I'm probably giving you so many views now because I've been going through it. He goes, I've been watching other people's videos and I won't say, you know, I, I, this isn't about oh, I'm so amazing. But it, it proved the point that I thought for many, many years. He goes, I got to be honest. When I first started watching your videos, I thought there are people out there that are a lot more fun. And he goes, I know you're really entertaining class, but it's just kind of a lot of information. He goes, now I've gone out there and I've realized some of these people, I, I don't think they know what they're doing. He, he referred to somebody as a, a used car salesman, which I thought was amazing considering the person he was talking about. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And he talked about how other people had some good things, but he goes, I love how you focus it just on the care. I can go through tape. Take notes. It's easy for me to understand. You lay it out. I lo- and I. It just made me feel good. And again, I hope this isn't coming across. It's not a like, man. I'm I'm awesome. It was just so cool to see two of my major worlds kind of. Collide for lack of a better term. I teach. I work with these students. I've had people ask me many times over the years, "Do any of your kids get into them? Do you help them out?" And the answer's been no. It's been no for many, many years. Now I have two students that are getting into tarantulas. One of which is really getting in. He, you know, he's doing the whole note thing. I can't even get him to take notes in class, and he's taking notes, writing some down, memorizing. He the fact that he came to me the second week, busting out scientific names. He he busted out Theraphosa blondi, told me a terrible story about a Theraphosa blondi, which led to a funny anecdote because I guess he had had a friend of his, older uh, friend of his father's or something that went to a pet store and they had a Theraphosa blondie and again they had him hold it and he said it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and the spider went to jump from one arm to the other, hit the floor and exploded and he killed it. He said he was in tears and he tells me this story. And then he comes back the next week, goes, my friend's father said to tell you that he didn't mean it, that he didn't mean to kill it, and he knows who you are, he watches your videos, and he doesn't want you thinking he's a terrible person, which I thought was hysterical. Again, world's colliding. So apparently, he it, it was a terrible situation. I explained to him, because he's one right now, that he's like, I really kind of want to handle, but I, I'm afraid. And so we talked about the dangers of handling, we talked about how their temperaments can change once they molt. I've had spiders that would be completely, I would absolutely trust if I was into handling, I would completely trust them to handle. And then they molt and it's like, forget about it. I've had other ones that were crazy. My L. Sazmes and my C. Pubisins both went through stages where they were nuts, especially my Sazmes. They were threat postures, bolting, crazy. And both of them are laid back as can be now. So they can go both ways. So anyway, the reason why I share this is he and I have been having a lot of conversations about what do you need to do? What are the do's and don'ts? When you're getting ready to enter the tarantula hobby, you've turned that corner, you've watched the videos, you've hopefully read some good information out there. Where do you start? So this is for CD. This is for my student. What are the do's and don'ts for getting ready for the tarantula hobby? So number one, I think the most important thing, and this is one I got into with my student, consider your living situation. What I mean by this is if you are, say, a high school student and you live with mom and dad, yes, you need moms and, and mom and dad's permission. If you're living with grandpa, grandpa, aunt, whoever it is, the adult in your house needs to be clued in that you're looking to get a tarantula. Now, this is where a lot of people immediately have the brakes, you know, applied to their uh, efforts to go out and get one because a lot of parents won't let them have them. I have shared the fact that my mom absolutely was a dead no, no way, no way was I allowed to have tarantulas or snakes in our house. Probably a good thing at the time, not because I, I, I don't, I think I would have taken care of them overall, but I don't think I was ready for them, honestly. But a lot of parents don't like it. So you need to check with the parents if you're younger first and find out if it's okay. If you're married, you need to get your spouse into it. Do not do, I've had people before I do the whole, yep, I brought, I went to a show, brought home a tarantula. My girlfriend hates him and now she's mad at me or my wife hates him. You have to get them on board. And I think I've done a whole podcast on how to convince people that tarantulas are not as bad as you think. I've offered my services out before. I've actually spoken to wives before and girlfriends to explain it's not that bad. I told this student I'd be happy to talk to his mom if she had questions about it. But that is an incredibly important thing to do before you even buy your first tarantula. Now, even if you don't live with mom and dad, if you have a brother and sister and shares a room with you, if you are in a situation where you have a roommate or multiple roommates, again, you need to get everybody on the board on board. You need to get permission from your roommates, and you need to consider whether or not the environment will be safe. So, for example, I have heard many horror stories over the years of people that have spiders, they bring them to their college dorms, and somebody has a party, and next thing you know it, the spider is dead. Some terrible, terrible stories with it. So that's something you really you need to put, and I always Always say this, put the spider first. If you're in college, I'm hoping eventually you're going to get out of college. Hopefully you picked a major that's going to get you a good paying job. You get a house or an apartment where you're living by yourself. That may be the time you start considering to get one. So remember, they're going to be there. They're not going anywhere. Sometimes it's more prudent and more responsible to wait if you can't get permission or if you're in a situation where you have roommates or somebody else that might be bothered by or might, you know, risk the health of the spider sometimes it's not your roommate it's the people who came over for the party so what you don't do don't just do the old YOLO pick one up regardless of who is in the house Or the other thing is, if you plan on moving soon, I get a lot of folks that, again, are in high school, they plan on attending college, they pick up a spider their senior year, next thing you know they're going to college, mom and dad are like, I'm not taking care of that thing, and they can't bring it with them, then what do you do? Or I have many folks who go into the military, similar situation, I have a spider collection, what do I do with it? Don't just pick it up short-term like, all right, I'm going to pick this spider up. This is a long-term commitment. Some of these animals we suspect can live upwards of 40, 45 years. That's a huge commitment. That's something you need to keep in mind. This isn't, you know, and I would say if you're somebody who wants to keep spiders or tarantulas and you're in a situation where you're not sure where you're going to be in the next year or two, start with a true spider. Pick up a wolf spider. Pick up a fishing spider. Pick up a huntsman spider. Again, they can be a little tougher because they move more quickly, but they're good ones to start off with. It'll get you, you know, you'll learn spider husbandry, the fact you don't have to feed them every day, how to set them up and have a situation where the spider will likely pass away before it's time for you to move on. So that's something to consider. So don't just go out there and say the heck with it. I'm going to bring one home. I've heard horrific stories. I think I shared the story years ago where the kid picked up a spider. I want to say it was a pelosum against his mother's wishes. He kept it in a sterilite shoebox under his bed. The mom found it and sucked it up with a vacuum cleaner. It was one of the worst things I've ever heard. The kid was heartbroken. The mom it would sound like a terrible human being. I mean, don't get me going on that. Even if my kid had something that I didn't like... Animal-wise, I would not kill it. And apparently he found it half dead in the... It was just awful. Anyways, don't just go out there and buy one before checking with the people who are nearest and dearest and closest to you that you live with that are your parents, are your guardians, whatever it may be. Check with them first. If they are reluctant, again, you can always try the convincing and I have a whole podcast on that. And there's a lot of folks that have been very, very successful in that. But if they say no, it's probably time to move on. If it's your boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other... Maybe you need to find another one. No, I'm just kidding. I do think that people, when they start the, the hobby together, like I have obviously Billy's an incredibly supportive wife, and although she doesn't keep spiders, the amount of support she shows for mine and the all the Tom's Big Spiders stuff I do is just unparalleled. It's amazing. So it, it, you got to have somebody that's on on board with you, or else it's really not worth picking up. You don't want a, a source of contention in your household. Now on to number two, I think the next question you need to ask yourself, and this is the one I think where a lot of your research is going to come into play. So this is the part that's going to stymie a lot of people. What species would you like to start with? I can clearly remember like it was yesterday, being in the living room of my old house, Talking about the queen eventually passing away, turning to my wife, going, let me hop online and see what's out there in terms of tarantulas, and immediately having my mind blown when I saw the sheer, back when I used to first got into the hobby in the 90s, I wouldn't say first got into the hobby, back when I first got my first tarantulas back in the 90s, we'll say it that way. I honestly didn't remember there being that many. I'm sure there were a lot of species out there, but I used to go to reptile conventions and pet stores in other states, and I didn't see the sheer number of colors, patterns, sizes. I didn't know there was difference between arboreal. I did learn that there were fossorial because when I got my Asimani, I had read that good information that they liked to the burrow, but there was so much to take in. There are so many choices of spiders to start with, and like I've said many times before, Folks who are just getting into the hobby often don't recognize the difference between an old world and new world. They're just looking at pretty spiders. So I encourage folks, when they start off, go out there and start making a list of some of the ones they are most interested in keeping. These are This is what I did. I had a list. I had a notebook. I would write down species. I would try to learn the scientific names, but I write down the common names, scientific names, and then I would start researching them. And a lot of times, once I learned about old world species, a lot of times I put these species on the back burner because I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet. So the trick is there are so many folks out there with beginner species lists. I did I've done a couple videos. The old one I did is really outdated. The newer one I stand by because I basically pulled keepers and said, "What do you think? What did you start off with? What would you recommend?" And got votes from many people. So I like that one because it isn't just one person's point of view. There were hundreds of people that chimed in when I did the, put this survey out there, which I, I really. Think gives a good view of this isn't just what I say, this is what a lot of people say. So there are good lists out there. But again, don't just look at mine. Look at what's on the internet. Go through, look for commonalities. If somebody says it's a good beginner species, check somebody else, make sure they say it's a good beginner species. The reason I say that is because I have shared that one of the lists that I found when I was first doing research, had the OBT as one of the best beginners. They said that the reason why they're best beginners is they're so easy to keep. You could keep them on glass. They then described that you can set them up terrestrially, which probably led to a lot of people finding this list, setting them up wrong, and having a really defensive spider. But that's why you want to cross reference, but you want to figure out where you're at as far as a keeper. What do you feel comfortable with? I know there's folks out there that will tell you, hey, I jumped right in with Old worlds," and I don't discount that and I'm not going to argue against that. I have shared that I jumped into Old worlds rather quickly. I got a couple of them. I started keeping them. I'm like, these really aren't that difficult and I worked my way up rather quickly, had no issues with. There are other people, however, that will be intimidated by Old World Tarantulas. There are other people that just don't have the ability to care for them correctly because of that intimidation, which can be a very dangerous, dangerous situation when you have a spider that you're scared of that's when you make mistakes that ends up with the spider getting hurt you getting hurt there needs to be some introspection you need to know who you are as a person where you are comfort level with working with animals before you get one that should inform what spiders make it to your list now do you take the old worlds off no if you do what I did you had a list these are the ones that should be very easy. Here are ones that you kind of move up a little bit and that's when my uh, Formictibus canceritis made the list because I'm like, oh, this one's definitely on my list. And then these are the ones I'm shooting for at some point and that was the P. murinus, which I actually got rather quickly. The P. species, something like that. So I would start easy. Don't, what you don't want to do is just jump online, find one that looks pretty, and pick it up. I can't tell you how many folks email me or message me after, hey, I I went to shop for a spider. I saw this one. It looks great. Now I'm finding out this thing. Apparently, the bite's pretty bad, or it's difficult to take care of, or it says something about it needing high humidity or high moisture. And yes, I know that every time I say that do not just find one that's pretty and buy it, someone comes on and says, why not? That's what I did and I'm fine. I have to point out that because it works for you doesn't necessarily mean it works for others. And again, we have two folks here that I'm using as kind of the jumping off point for this podcast that are teenagers. They're younger. One of them uh, sounds like a senior. I know my guy is a junior. They're in high school. They live with people. I know for a fact my guy, although he's showing a lot of responsibility, has been impulsive in the, ba- in the past this is an important thing to consider. Not everybody is ready to just jump right in the deep end. So let's stop saying that to people. I hate when people come on, they're obviously a little tentative. They're like, yeah, I'm wondering what I should get. And they're like, buy whatever you want. Just do the research. Unfortunately, if you don't know who you're talking to, if they don't know how to do the research, that could end up in a sticky situation. So, make sure whatever species you pick, make whatever way you record information, whether it be, I've had some folks that do like an online, they have a form online where they open up like a Google doc and they keep all their notes. I like the old fashioned way. I used to have the old notebook. I know a lot of folks will keep a notebook. Spend some time putting that list together, doing the research. Where do you go for research? I know a guy now. I try to be, I'm somebody out there that I would like to think is putting out good information. I'm not the only one out there. There's other good information. There's different ways of doing things the trick is to go out and amass as much information as you can and look for those commonalities. A great place to start. I always encourage folks to start there. As much as I know they can be a little tricky when you leave comments, boards. It is an amazing Just an archive of all kinds of keeping information. You can go back so many years. You can see how people have changed the way they keep. You can sometimes find threads that started in 2010, and next thing you know, it's 2023, and people are adding information to it. I love that kind of stuff. I can read that stuff all day long. A lot of it is people going, Hey, how do you keep this? Here's how I kept mine, and now it's an adult. Here's how I kept mine. I had problems with mine because it was too moist. I had problems with mine because it was too dry. All the information you could possibly want. Obviously, be careful if you decide to post a question. Uh, they're very direct. Some some are just very direct, uh, and I want to make that clear that some are just like, here's the answer. They're not going to mince words. They're not going to try to like be super sweet about it. That's something that tends to turn some newbies off. So be careful. I would I would say if you're worried about what you're going to get back, don't bother commenting. But there should be plenty of information on there for you to use. Mike's Basic Tarantula is a website I've used for years. He has never led me astray. He does mention humidity requirements, but if you read into the actual care of it, he'll just tell you, he's not going to tell you, I'm I'm keeping humidity gauge. He's going to say, I keep one corner of the thing moist and put a water dish in. So that's another great place to look. There are others out there that you can get information from, but again, don't just go by the first, and this is our don't for this, don't just go by the first care sheet that you find. Research. Facebook groups can be okay, but as I mentioned earlier, the couple times I popped on them. It's it can be just as confusing with the different points of view, and and that can be difficult to weed through. I mean, I guess the best the best part about it is you're going to hear a bunch of different perspectives, but it scares me sometimes when people break out stuff like I have a humidity gauge in mind, and this is what I keep it at. Like that is what we used to do back in the '90s when people were keeping these like reptiles. It's not we don't do that anymore, but. Make sure you get a lot of different, different sources, and then compare them. I, I always invite people to, if you found my information, that's great. I like, this is how I'm doing. It. It's working for me, but feel free to reach out. If somebody's doing something different than I am, if somebody's putting heat on them, if somebody's using clay balls or whatever, then don't ask me how to do that because I've never done it. Ask the people that are doing it, get the information for them. So that's the, the, probably the most important part is doing that research before you pull the trigger. And it can be difficult. I get it better than anybody. I am the master of starting new hobbies and finding new things that I'm interested in, fascinating in that I can research. And I love research. I love learning new things. And it's tough sometimes because you start doing the research and if it's something that involves purchasing something, you want to jump in. If you got the money, you want to buy it. And I know my student, he's got a good a good paying job. He's got the money. He is dying to spend it. It can be tough, but hold back. They're going to be there do your research first, figure out A, which species you're most interested in, have a list of them, have a few of them. So if something falls through, you've got a backup. That's the other thing I see sometimes is people have like, I really want a G polchra. They didn't have a G polkra. So I picked up a C lividus. No, have those backups. So, you know, A, B, C, D, these are the ones I'm looking for. If I can't get A, I'm going to go to B, I'm going to go to C, I'm going to go to D. Another don't. If you purchase from a pet store and this doesn't, I want to make this clear. I know there are good pet store folks out there. So I guess part of it's recognizing who knows what they're talking about, but I think the vast majority that I've received emails about, they don't know how to keep tarantulas. They have no idea. I think what they do at pet stores is they research the first care guide that comes up. They tell you, you need you know, a hygrometer. You need you know, only an inch of substrate. You can use aquarium pebbles for it. All this garbage because they're trying to sell you stuff. They're not making a lot of money off the spider. What they're going to make a lot of money off of is that fish tank they just sold you. Are those bags of aquarium gravel? Are the hygrometer? Are the heat lamp? Are the sponge? The water dish? All those accessories it's like the razor thing you know you give them a razor for next to free and then you sell them the razor blades it's the same type of premise and a lot of these guys don't know what they're talking about so for example the young lady that I talked about that picked up the pea metallica not only did they tell her it was handleable not only did they tell her the bite wouldn't be bad but they had her set it up in a terrestrial setup so when she showed me the setup I saw a piece of cork bark on the ground she's like it never hides it just sits on the side of the enclosure so I'm like all right here's what you want to do you want to put a little you know you want to get a fake plant put in there give it some coverage you want to take that cork bark and it, at least lean it up against the side of the enclosure she came back to me she's like oh my god you're right it sits right on the cork Bark now, and when it gets scared, it goes behind the cork bark by where the, the plan is. Beautiful. That's why you don't listen to the pet stores because they don't always know what they're talking about. Now, if you start doing research and the pet store, you you check the cross reference the pet store information what they gave you with the research and it jives please go back and give kudos to that pet store employee and thank them for actually knowing what they're talking about because unfortunately they're few and far between. I don't get it because I would, I often, you know, fantasize about how much fun it would be to work in a pet store and then to learn all that because I'm a geek this way. Learn all the information about the different pets so I was giving these guys the best information possible but then I remember a lot of people that get that they don't know a lot about animals and they don't know how to do the research. So it's just take whatever the pet store says with a grain of salt. Do not just buy a spider and go buy their information even if they give you a print It out sheet. Go cross-reference it, do your research. Hopefully, hopefully, you've already done your research and you recognize that what they're telling you is BS. That would be the ideal situation. So, obviously, when you're starting off, figure out the species you're gonna get, do your research, figure out the care, get ready to roll. Now, before you move on to buy your spider, there's something else we need to think about. What size you should start with? This one can be tricky because I run into this all the time. There are folks who go, hey, I just found out that, you know, I, I just found the tarantula hobby. I just picked the spider I want to get. I'm picking Grandma stole a I, I went to go look for one and I want an adult. I want a female, uh, you know, full-grown adult and they're charging 400 bucks for it. Well, yeah, because that's a spider that probably took that person close to 10 years to grow up. It, they're going to be more expensive. I think a lot of folks who are just getting started in the hobby choose to begin with a well-started juvenile or even an adult tarantula. But although, Larger spiders are more forgiving of husbandry mistakes. They can also be much more expensive than spiderlings. I can't tell you how many frustrated folks I've had email me going, "I don't understand. These people are charging way too much for these spiders. I just want a fill in your you know New World the fat, slow growing gab species, and I just want a pelma code is, and they want to charge me $350 for a female. I don't know what females are going for. Maybe it's cheaper than that, but I get folks that are like hundreds of dollars for a female or even a juvenile. Well, yeah, because they're very difficult to come by for the slower growing new world species. That's something people need to think about before they get into the hobby. Now, say you decide, hey, you know what? I don't want to spend that much. I want to start with a sling. Well, now there's more research to be done because slings, although I don't think they're as bad as people make them to be, they can be much more stressful and there's kind of a whole separate set of, of care requirements for keeping a sling, depending on which one you're keeping. So that means you got to go out and look up your sling care. Again, I did, and I don't want this to sound like I'm shamelessly promoting myself. I'm assuming anybody that's listening to me right now knows this stuff's out there, but I did do a comprehensive sling guide. It's in PDF format. It's a video. It's on my website where I tried to break down every little thing somebody might encounter, every issue somebody might encounter when getting a sling, all the things you need to think about. And I th- watched it again recently because I do like to look at my older stuff and make sure it still holds up. And I still think it holds up. I think the majority, the fact that I don't get a lot of questions about it, I think says I nailed it, which I'm glad about because I wanted it to be a one-stop shop for somebody that was moving into keeping slings. So what size you start with can determine how much it's going to cost you and can also determine not uh, whether or not you're going to have more research to do because a lot of the stuff they tell you about the adult specimens doesn't quite jive with the the younger spiderlings. Now... Also, for folks who start with spiderlings, sometimes that means you're going to go a little more to the advanced side of that beginner's list. And that's something to consider because a lot of folks who want to start with spiderlings go, you know what? I'm going to pick up one of the faster growing species like the GBB or the C. kind of or an A. geniculata, Brazilian giant white knee, or even an L. parahibana. I know some folks some folks grow much more quickly. Mine were kind of slow growing, but they pick up those species because they grow faster. And these are species that are moving towards towards the more intermediate side of things if there's such a thing. I've argued both things before, but they are ones that get a little bit bigger and in the, in the instance of the Aginiticulata and the Hibana. they can be a little more uh, rambunctious again, Aginiticulata GBB, the Elpera Hibana, the hair kicking with C. can be a little bit more. So these are ones just a heads up if you're eyeing these, I'd never dissuade people. I just warn them. The C. kyniopubicins is also, and I've said this many times over the years, the one spider that folks that have kept the gab species, those slower growing Afonopelma, Grammostola Brachypelma, they get one of these and they're like, this is the fastest thing I've ever seen, which are they faster than those species I just mentioned? Yes. Are they the fastest spiders out there? Not even by a long shot. So that's a wake up call for folks when we talk about spider speed but yes if you decide as I shift to my chair because I'm getting uncomfortable here if you decide to start with one of those uh, a sling those are ones to consider that they're, they're going to be much easier much quicker to get out of that delicate sling stage and what you don't want to do is pick up a sling without doing any research this one kind of drives me nuts because I will have people that will email me hey Tom I just ordered this many slings from a vendor, and I'm not sure how to keep a sling. I've never kept one before. Well, a little too late now, buddy, because now you, you should be setting these up correctly. You should know what you're doing. You should know your options as far as enclosures and whatnot. This is something you want to do long before you get a sling. A, a sling impulse, obviously any impulse buy. If somebody knows what they're doing, knows how to research, you can sit sitting online, spend an hour or so doing some research, probably get a pretty good setup, but it's always something I encourage people to do before. Uh, before they get the actual animal. I know that uh, sometimes you're at a pet store, sometimes you're at a pet expo and they got the sling there, you're not gonna get a chance to come back and you grab it. I get it, I do, it happens. But ideally, you should have that information before you pick it up. So number three, always consider what size you're gonna start with. If you're going for a sling, it involves more research. If you're going for a larger specimen, be ready to reach even deeper into your pockets number four you've decided you're getting one perhaps you have already located one nearby at a pet store perhaps you don't have pet stores that sell them like us uh, like those of us in Connecticut so the next thing you want to figure out is where you will get it again you find local pet stores that carry spiders which can be amazingly convenient if you actually want to see the spider in person but if there aren't any nearby you can always order them online this is what I have to do because it's illegal in my state to sell them so I have bought probably 98 I'll go 98% because I did go to Massachusetts and I have gone to shows before and picked them up in person, but I'd say 98% of them I've purchased online. It is safe if you get a reputable dealer, but that's where we get to the point where again, it's going to require some research. If you decide to order online, do your research Figure out who those reputable dealers are. This is going to involve you cross-referencing stuff. I always, I hate to say it, I always take this route. I will look at a dealer and then I will go search for negative reviews just to see if there's some commonalities. So for example, like there's a certain place out there that sells them that they drop ship Backwater reptiles, I think it is. I I heard so many horror stories from this place. People have received dead ones, ones packed in containers full of dirt with squished spiders, wrong species, wrong sex. One person received a millipede instead of a spider. They're awful. So you want to make sure you find the ones with a terrible reputation are. Is there going to be a negative review for everybody out there? Yes. There's always I've worked with dealers before. I've heard some of this, the BS things people. Turn around and try to, you know, come at the dealer about and give them a bad review about, and there's going to be unreasonable ones out there, but usually you can figure out whether or not it's a Karen for lack of a better term, making the review. If you see a lot of negative reviews saying the same thing, they're not getting in touch. Uh, obviously communication is huge, getting the right animal is huge, having the right size animal is huge, prices are huge, all that. If you start seeing commonalities where like, hey, they didn't get back to me for weeks and all of a sudden it showed up my doorstep or um, I got this one and they charged me 300 bucks for something everybody else had for 100, whatever it is, that's something you put in the back of your mind, maybe cross that one off your list. But there are a lot of really reputable ones out there. I've done a whole podcast on ones I've personally used many, many times you know, multiple times that are good ones to buy from. You need to figure out who they are before you lay down your hard-earned money to pick up one of these spiders. Now, a word of caution, a lot of people find their dealers through YouTube reviews, unboxing, stuff like that. That can be a great place to find them. But please be aware, and I know I harp on this, but I don't think people recognize this, especially ones who are just getting into the hobby, that a lot of these folks are being given free spiders to talk about these places. There is a big difference between a legitimate buy where somebody goes out, shops, buys something with their own money, and gets the spiders in, and then a situation where somebody sends somebody something for free so that they'll talk about it and get word out, which is great advertising. It makes sense. This is how the hobby works. This is how we get... This is how I find new dealers sometimes. I'll see something online. Somebody posts something like, oh, these sound good. Let me look up reviews. But... Be aware, the dark side of this is we've had many instances in the hobbies where people are promoted, they're paying for advertisement on somebody's channel, they're giving them free mystery boxes, and they are shady dealers. And what happens is people figure out they're shady dealers, but because this individual, this YouTuber is promoting them and selling them and continuing to defend them when things start coming out that point to the fact that they're blatantly a shady dealer... It keeps this shady dealer still getting business. It's it's a shame. It, does it happen all that much? Well, I can think of four different dealers it's happened to. And I, I can say flat out that years ago, I had it happen with a certain dealer that I bought so that they sent me a box why I don't do free things anymore. I opened it up. It was fantastic. I put their name out there. They basically, from the sounds of things, went to get an import in, took a bunch of money for it. The import never got sent to them and they disappeared, screwed a bunch of people over. It does happen. The issue is that there are some out there that we start to learn bad things about and the folks that are getting advertisement dollars for them don't want that to get out, don't want that to be public because A, it makes them look bad and B, it takes away their money. So that's something to be always aware of. So please, when you get your reviews for a certain dealer, don't just go by the comment section of the YouTube video you found it on, because there's going to be a lot of sycophantic individuals that are just telling, they want to buy from whatever place that person is that's making the videos because they idolize them, they enjoy them. That's not where you look. Search that name and see what comes up, because that's when you're going to find a lot of information out there. I know there was one recently, there was a ton of information that this guy was a scumbag, except it was all getting buried because there were people still promoting them. It's happened several times. There was another deal at Friction a while back that screwed a ton of people over and they were able to get away with it so long because people are still promoting them. So it's difficult to sometimes to figure that out, but it's an important thing to note. Don't just go to the first thing and go, oh, this person bought from them. They did an unboxing video. All these people are excited about buying from them. That should be your springboard. Again, do that research. Look, And sometimes even then you won't find it. The problem with this business is, Even some good dealers turn bad. We've had folks that got in that, you know, a couple of the ones I've mentioned, I think they probably started off as okay people. They got in too deep. They got into a situation where they lost an import or whatever. They took money from people. They didn't know how to get the money back to people. They start borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. And now you have a situation where it's almost like a Ponzi scheme where they're just grabbing money from these people to try to send these people spiders. It's awful. It's happened repeatedly. And I hate when it happens because so many people get screwed over and it turns so many people off to the hobby and makes us look sleazy, quite frankly. So, when you decide you're going to buy a and you're going to buy online, do that research. I'm always happy to let people know. Like if you email me and go, "Who are some people you recommend?" I will recommend people. I will I usually break it into two parts. These are ones I've bought from repeatedly that I know they will take care of you. They've been in the hobby for a long time, sterling reputation. And then if I hear a lot of good things about a certain dealer, even if I haven't purchased from them yet, I will say, "Hey, so far I haven't heard a negative thing about these guys. It sounds like they've got a good business." I would recommend them, just know I haven't purchased from them myself, and that's usually how it works, but there are plenty of good ones out there to buy from, so if you do your research, it should be pretty obvious which ones have been around for a while, have that stellar reputation, and to know and recognize that they'll be ones that will that you can give your money to and you're going to get what you pay for. Now, you've done your research, you have the spider you want, you know which spider you want, you know which size you want. You, your parents are okay with it. You've just done some research and some places to buy it. And usually I'll add this, what I like to do, what I like to do back in the day is I had a spreadsheet and I had the different spiders I was looking for down the right. I had all the dealers along the top and I would put which species they had and what the prices were. And then I would use that to kind of come up with, because it's, if you're ordering online, it can be expensive. It's usually 40 or 50 bucks because it has to be sent overnight. If you're ordering online, you want to kind of defer some of that shipping. So sometimes it's better instead of just to buy one, you buy two or three. So that's why I'd look, all right, this person's price for the GBV was a little higher, but they have two different other species that I want, which will save on shipping. That's where you start kind of price match. So always kind of price match, go at it that way. But you you kind of figure out what you want. You found a place. Next thing you need to figure out, what are you going to keep it in? This is one where I see a lot of people screw this one up. They've done all the research, everything else. They get the spider and they're like, oh God, I just got the spider and it's way smaller than I thought. I don't have anything to put it in. What do I do? And this happens more than you think. You need to have researched the proper setup and have it ready for that spider when it comes. Do not order and go, I'll fix something when it shows up. Some of us can do that. Now, I have so many containers in my garage. That it looks like an episode of Hoarders because there's so many things I've used over the years. Even stuff that I've taken out of circulation in a pinch, if it fits, I can use it. It's usually an aesthetic thing for me, the reason I stop using stuff. So there's a lot here, but for folks who are just ordering for the first time, this can be tricky because you don't have all this stuff around your house. You don't have the extra cork bark, the plants, the dram vials, the deli cups, the containers, you have to find something to buy. This is where I think a lot of folks that sell the more expensive premium enclosures, a lot of folks doing the acrylic stuff now, I think that's where they're really helpful for a lot of people because they can go and say, all right, this is a sling enclosure, for a terrestrial sling and then they can just buy it is it a little more expensive than maybe I would spend yeah I have so many slings it would cost me hundreds of dollars just to put them in those enclosures only to have to rehouse them in a couple months it's just not something I choose to spend my money on I wait for the premium enclosures so they get larger however do I understand why people pick them up absolutely and I think if you have the money for it like my student for example He's like, what should I get for an enclosure? Should I buy? So we went through. I said, you could do it as cheaply as this, or you can hop online, buy one of these acrylic enclosures. You can get them on Amazon. The the Amazon ones, like Nanny Zoo is one of the ones that makes the, basically a lot of these folks have these enclosures produced in China. And then what happens is China, if they come up with a new idea, the people in China, they don't have to worry about any, you know, patents or anything over there. They just take those designs and they market them and sell them under another name. So if you want to get the cheap ones online, go on Amazon. If that's easier just to get off Amazon, there are some folks out there that have built, you know, that are wonderful for the community because they are trying to make a enclosures, just for tarantulas they've created a business on it they take care of people they put out a nice product they package it well they advertise if you want to support one of them by all means whatever it may be if you're if you're supporting one of them you're supporting a hobby because they support a lot of the dealers give them enclosures definitely go there whatever it may be find something that's appropriate have it ready no, are you dealing with a fossorial? Are you dealing with a terrestrial? Are you dealing with an arboreal? If it's a sling, it's probably going to burrow. You're going to have to keep the lower levels moist. Just make sure that it's appropriate. Don't buy the, this is your don't here. Don't just pick up the sling and go, I'll figure it out later. Have it ready ahead of time. Don't just go, hey, I had this 10-gallon aquarium in my garage. I kept my fish in for a week before I got bored of them. I'll just throw this little sling in that. No, it's not about just what's convenient for you. And we've all been there. I think I shared the story of how I had a reptile enclosure, that a snake enclosure that I was going to use for a tarantula. I had it all set up, and I'm so glad that I never put anything in it because it would have been completely inappropriate, flat-out inappropriate, terrible enclosure for tarantulas. Find something that works for the spider. Identify what the spider needs. Identify what's out there in terms of appropriate enclosures for it, whether it be a dram vial, a deli cup, or a tarantula cube, one of those little uh, uh, enclosures they sell online, and then pick it up. The other thing I can tell you is... Have multiple enclosures ready for when you buy your slings. And I know this can be difficult. And I know that when we're first buying stuff, it's it's expensive enough to set them up. But I can tell you for a fact, there's been many times I've been surprised by the size of a spider. Sometimes you overestimate, sometimes you underestimate. I've had situations where I have a little enclosure set up. I get the spider. It's so teeny tiny. It's like, this isn't going to work. And I'm able to go just bounce off and grab something else. Or I've had situations where I have an enclosure set up. I open up, the spider is huge. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. The spider's already outgrown this thing. Have a couple things ready. I've again mentioned many times before how my son Ronan and I put together a video about how to prepare for a shipment, what to do, how to unbox, all that stuff. And one of the things we talked about was having, I showed three different enclosures for the same spider I was getting in. Dramvile, deli cup. And the other one was a larger sterilite container. And that was because I wasn't quite sure what size the spider was going to be. What you start figuring out is, especially with faster growing species, they say they have it listed at half an inch. If that's been up there for a while, there's a good chance that that spider is molted a couple times. And for the faster ones, it could be up to an inch, inch and a quarter. That's a big difference depending on what you've got set up for it. So do figure out what it needs for a correct setup. Do make sure that you have that ready to go before you order your spider. Not after. I had so many, again, so many folks contact me freaking out because... The spider came in, they have nothing for it. It's, you know, late at night. What do I do? Where do I go? Do I go to Walmart? Do I go to Petco? And then I'm trying to coach them through, all right, go to Walmart, pick up this enclosure here, or do this. Or in some cases, you can take the vial they're in, move them out of it, put some dirt in that vial, put them back in it, stuff like that. But always have that stuff ready and try to have multiple enclosures ready, which will be easier if you get really deep into the hobby and start ordering a lot of spiders. You will have more dram vials and you know what to do with. Buy some of those deli cups. I again, the sixteen ounce, thirty-two ounce. I like the twenty-ounce ones because they're kind of in between. But be prepared to house that spider correctly. If you're getting an adult, make sure you have that figured out. What are you going to put in? it? What does it need for a hide? What does the setup entail? What substrate are you going to use? That's another thing that tends to freak people out. They get the enclosure like, I don't know what to use for substrate. I've got a, a dry species, an arid species, and I just bought this bag of cocoa fiber and it's moist. Or I just rehydrated my cocoa fiber, it's moist. Prepare for all this ahead of time. If it needs dry substrate, make sure that substrate is dry. Don't, I, again, folks will contact me quite a bit with, hey, um, I know this is probably the wrong thing, but I got an OBT. My substrate was completely wet. It's hanging out in the corner of the enclosure. Yep, and it's going to until it dries out. Try to have all that stuff ready before you get the spider. If you notice, all of this is about being preemptive. You're making sure everything is prepared before the spider comes to you. And then finally, this one seems like it goes without saying, but it can be tricky depending on where you live, especially if you live kind of out in the boonies where there isn't a lot of stuff or stores and stuff around. What are you going to feed your spider? Now, you can feed anything from mealworms, superworms, crickets, roaches, whatever it may be. But some people have a hard time getting a hold of these or at least getting a hold of these in smaller quantities. Back when I used, just had a handful of spiders, I used to go to a local pet store. I'd go and give me 100 crickets, multiple sizes. They'd throw them in a bag. I'd overpay for them. I'd go home. I'd feed my spiders. No big thing. But as I got a bigger collection, I had to start ordering in bulk. But I always had places nearby that sold these. I have talked to other people who don't have local pet shops that sell crickets or mealworms. And then they come to me with alternative food sources. I, I Can I feed them bugs? from outside. No, do not feed them bugs from outside. You're never sure what they were exposed to. I have this type of beetle. Will it eat the beetle? No, most of them won't eat or a lot of them won't eat the beetles. We start coming up. I've had the strangest things people have asked me if they could be house flies. Can I catch house flies and throw them in? This is something that should have been handled beforehand. I would not feed anything that's been exposed to anything from the outside, anything in your home. You never know what's been exposed to some type of pesticide or something that could kill your spider. From outside, I know there, there are folks that take dirt and stuff from outside. I always worry because there are places where they spray stuff, where they could be affected with it. You never quite know what you're going to get with it. So I'm always very reluctant and you should never take a prey item from outside. Let's put it that way. You should always know ahead of time where you're going to get your food from. I would find a local pet store. The other thing is the good thing about finding a local pet store is A, hopefully you'll have a supply of crickets, especially most folks only start one or two, it'll explode after a while, they'll have 10, 12, and then you start getting to points like, should I start a roach colony? I wouldn't necessarily start a roach colony early on because if you do it right, you're going to have way more roaches than you need. But if it's something you need to do because there's nobody around, that's fine. I would find somebody you could sell them to when you have extras. But I would make very sure that you know where you're going to get. Your mealworms are great because you can put them in the refrigerator. So you buy a those you can buy in Amazon too. They'll send them out, and as long as they, especially if you order when it's cold, they stay like in this hibernation state. You keep them in your refrigerator. You take a few of them out, let them warm up a little bit. They wiggle around. You feed them your spiders. Great way for folks. A great thing to use for folks who are not able to get crickets all the time or not able to find other things. You can order stuff online again. Like I said, Amazon, eBay does it, but usually they're in larger quantities. So that's why the mealworms are a good one because you'll pay a little bit more for them because usually they work the shipping in, but they'll last forever. But make sure you know what you're going to feed them ahead of time so you don't get in a situation where you got your spider and luckily again as we've talked about many many times they don't need to eat all that much so this could be once a month thing you run maybe the pet store is 45 minutes away well you run the 45 minutes up there you pick up some crickets and stuff maybe see if they got any nice enclosure stuff or cork bark or plants or whatever drive home but make sure you know where you're going to get your food from and then if you have all that stuff ready, by all means, order your spider. Hopefully that wasn't too much. But I think those are all things. I tried to put some stuff in there people don't think about that they get caught with when the spider arrives. And I do get a lot of emails from folks who find themselves in these predicaments because they pulled the trigger too early. They picked up the wrong spider. They picked up a spider. They didn't research. They picked up a spider and then mom said, no, you need to get it out of here. They picked up a spider. And they can't find food. All of these things are things that should be considered before you pull the trigger and put money down on your first tarantula. So, that's what I've got for you. I'd be curious to hear what other people think. I'm sure there's other stuff they should be thinking about. So I'd love for folks to chime in. We can definitely go over it next episode. Like here are some things I realized that I didn't even take for granted. Even finding stuff for inside the enclosures can be tricky sometimes. That's something you want to find ahead of time. But what are some things you think people need to be aware of before pulling the trigger and buying their first tarantula? I went through my list. I think there are six here. What have you got for me? That will do it for this one. As always, you can find me at thomansbeakspiders.com. You can find me at the podcast. YouTube, I'll probably put up a short tomorrow. I've been doing the bi-weekly thing and it's been working for me. I'm not going to lie. It's been a lot less stress. Um, the last video that went up, I did the Ophilopinus. That was last week. I think I uh, talked about that. But uh, somebody has been posting, I, I should mention this because I don't know who it is. Uh, the traffic on that one and my last one went up all of a sudden and it's from an outside source. So somebody's posting the video on a website or something to give me a lot of Look, so whoever it is, if it's anybody that listens to the podcast, thank you. I, there's no way for me to track who did it. I'd love to give them a thank you because apparently they're sharing this and it's getting a lot of views, which is awesome. So thanks whoever did that. Super Bowl Sunday. I have no dog in this race. I, I keep joking with my kids at school, and it's getting them so upset. And I'm, they're like, Mr., who are you rooting for? And I go, I'm rooting for Taylor Swift. And they get so upset with me, but we'll watch it probably. I'll enjoy the football game. I actually played football in high school, considered doing it in college for a little while, but I, I will admit I don't watch a lot of football now. I kind of, once I got away from it, that was it. And I do enjoy watching a Super Bowl, though, and I do enjoy the commercials. So it should be a good one. Very excited for it. Billy will also make a lot of food that will make me fat. I've been trying to drop some weight lately, but this is going to be a cheat day because we've got Buffalo tenders coming. We've got, she makes these spicy meatballs that are just amazing that I'm going to pick out on. So definitely be doing some working out tomorrow as I suppose everybody is. And we actually have the day off tomorrow, which is fantastic. It was a weird thing where our school gave us the Monday off. So it's going to be a good night, guys. Hope yours is too. Stay safe. Be responsible. If you're out there drinking, do not drink and drive. And everybody have a fantastic day.